Forest, episode 67, a Valentine's Day special, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World Sequel. Welcome to Sequel Quest, the podcast where Adam, Jeff, and Jeremy invite you on a cinematic adventure to create prequels, sequels, and reboots to your favorite movie franchises. Joined by special guests along the way, Sequel Quest is go for launch. So let the adventure begin now. We are Sequel Quest, and we're here to make you think about fake movies and stuff. One, two, three, four. Let me introduce you to the rest of the band. First up, say hello to the man who just found out that bread makes you fat. It's Jeff. Wait, does that make me fat? That's what it sounds like. <laughs> Folks, Jeff l- l- makes uh, garlic bread your favorite you. food. Just you. <laughs> Over here's the guy who didn't read your email, but he skimmed it. Howdy, Jeremy. What email? You will pay for your insolence. And I'm the guy who just headbutted your boyfriend so hard he burst. Call me Adam. Before we push play on this gaming console, we have to toss two controllers over to a duo of returning guests to the podcast. Last time they were out of this world for the madness of Jupiter ascending, but we're bringing them back to Earth for a battle with seven evil exes. It's Kristen and Emily. How's it going? Good. So excited. Yay. But Jeremy, why don't you make it official? Tell us what film we're talking about today. Oh, well, this movie has everything. A pre-Captain Marvel, witch of an evil ex, a vegan former Superman, a Wolverine-ish Captain America, and so much more in this spunky little romantic action comedy, all rolled up and presented by the man who nearly brought us Ant-Man, Edgar Wright. This cult of a big-budget indie comic book movie struck out at the box office with a $60 million well, rumored to be closer to $90 million budget, only managing to reel in $48 million. When it went up against such heavyweights as The Expendables, Eat, Pray, Love, The Other Guys, Vampires Suck, and the tail end of runs by Inception and Despicable oh, Me. Right. Everything was stacked against this little movie, so this week we are covering Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Ooh, yes. Like you said, Jeremy, though, to call it a little movie, it definitely wasn't budget-wise. And, I mean, yeah, 60 to $90 million. They definitely threw all their eggs into this basket. Yeah, it's interesting because you called it a cult film, right? And ultimately, that's how it ended up. Were they positioning it that way? Absolutely not. Okay, but isn't that how it always happens with cult films? Like, you don't go into it saying, oh, this is going to be a cult film. It just develops. Well, but usually it's not a full, I mean, sometimes it's a big budget movie that flops and then people turn around, but then you get like John Carter. Nobody's talking about John Carter being a cult movie, Uh, but then you've got other movies that are just little small budget ones that nobody went to go see and then later they love it. So you never know. Now, the one thing I feel like we have to bring up is this was at the end of a three-year stretch where Michael Sarah starred in like eight or nine yeah. movies. Yeah. I, 
I was sick of seeing him oh. pop up in movie trailers. <laughs> and I was only a casual watcher of Arrested Development, so I wasn't endeared to him at all. I was just like, why is this guy in every single movie? And it just it was it upset me. So I didn't plan to see the movie. How did you guys come to find it? Kristen, how about you? I just saw some previews and I was like, oh, that looks pretty fun. But I was kind of staggered by the amount of money that they put into it. I appreciated all of the special effects and, and the way it turned out. But their target audience was those individuals who are looking for the cult classic, something a little unique, not mainstream. And I, I just feel like somebody really didn't run the math on that. So I think that they ended up, you know, kind of missing the mark. So How about you, Emily? Well, I first saw it, I think, at your parents' house, and they just happened to have it on over there for some reason. And I thought it was really fun. I didn't know anything about the comic series or anything like that. And I just thought they put a lot of work into it. They did a lot of fun things with the special effects. I didn't know anything about what they had been expecting or anything. I just thought it was fun. I do think it's cool that Kristen has hit parents. That's nice to know. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Jeff? Uh, it's funny. Actually, I was familiar with this movie. I heard about it, and I remember when it came out. But I only just saw it a couple of weeks ago when we started talking about doing this movie, which is funny because like I'm a huge, big Edgar Wright fan. And I didn't even realize this was an Edgar Wright movie, even though it was up until Baby Driver. This was his big budget movie. Wow. OK, so yeah. super fresh for you. How about Jeremy? I enjoyed this movie. Like, I didn't have any other memories like, oh, I went and saw this in theaters. I probably did. Like, I'm trying to remember back. Well, that's what I was going to ask, because I saw this on a whim with a group of friends, and I, Jeremy was part of that group of friends, so I was wondering if you were in that group, because it was a blur of a night where we're just like, let's go see a movie. What's it, Scott Pilgrim? I don't know. Let's check it out. And then yeah. we were just, like, blown away, because it was literally the most original thing I had seen at the movies in so long and the strange thing was you know i i am a comic reader but the scott pilgrim graphic novels were not on my radar because i just don't appreciate the manga aesthetic doesn't work for me and i still i have no desire to read the book but the movie had only been out a week i think when i went to see it and there were these girls that were in the row in front of us and they were literally reciting scenes from the film especially that long list of t names that come out of ramona's mouth at no. a certain point. and i was just like who are these girls how do they know this it just came out and i was like weird that was my introduction to Edgar Wright because like soon thereafter that okay let me go find Shaun of the Dead let me watch Hot Fuzz then I watched every oh episode of, of his TV show Spaced on Netflix which is probably my favorite thing he's done is Spaced I think that's an awesome show and it's also ended up being one of only three movies my wife and I can put on anytime and both of us will be satisfied because you know Jeremy did his best to summarize this film up top but what genre does it really fit into it's kind of difficult that could have contributed to why it did in fact bomb you know is it a comic book movie is it an action comedy i don't know i contend that it's a romantic comedy set in a video game world but my wife fights me on that she's like no no it's too far from standard romantic comedy tropes and it's not funny i'm like wait 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 but you like it no no it's it's ridiculous but it's not funny her logic astounds me but that's where she's at so where do you guys fall how would you 
try to describe this to somebody. Well, it no. wasn't very romantic. No, well, and I don't dislike Scott and Ramona as a couple, but I think that's where reading the comic strips probably would have given that aspect of it, you know, more meat. Because really, the movie's about the beginning of the relationship, and they're not even sure if they're going to stay together Right. You know, because of all these exes and all their hangups. So it's, you know, it's definitely, I, I almost wouldn't consider it a, a romance, really. No. Well, it's not, yeah, it's not, I mean, a ro- it's a relationship movie. But yeah, I mean, there's no one's romancing anyone. I mean, compared to the rest of the movies we do, this is a romantic comedy. That's exactly. <laughs> and that was the point. Yeah, but still, I think you guys are right. And I was wrong. My wife wins this battle. Hey, I'm going to level up. I'm going to get the sword of humility. <laughs> yeah. Good one. Well, for me personally, and like you were talking about, like, that's what I love about Edgar Wright is I feel like every single one of his films, Spaced is a little bit different. I feel like Space, I love Space too. Uh, his TV show from, from England. Not the American version, by the way. If you see the American version, it's an abomination. Don't pay attention to it. But for every single one of his movies, I feel like you cannot categorize them because there is literally nothing like them. Like, he is very familiar with all of the tropes. He's very familiar with all the styles. Like, with Hot Fuzz, for example, he he totally understands the police procedural types. He understands the buddy cop movies. And he jokes about it, but he does something completely fresh and original that I feel like I walk away being surprised at what he does. And fresh is the only word to describe it. So with this movie, yeah, again... The only thing that I can compare it to is Frank Miller's Sin City because it was such a comic book put up on screen, but it's still not a very good comparison because it looks visually partially like an actual like indie movie where you get, you know, like the Canadian like bleak time, like snow and all that sort of stuff. And they live in like a bunker or something like that. Well, says the and, guy from California, oh, that bleak Canada. Well, no, oh, so but I mean, snow up there. but <laughs> California is what you see on screen more often than not. I mean, That's very true. few. Let's tell a story of people living, you know, like, no, they want to live in somewhere interesting and dynamic. Uh, but nonetheless, then you have, you know, all the different comic book things that they enter in. I have never seen anything like it is the only way that I can phrase it. Yeah. Now, Kristen, you said you saw the trailer, but have you tried to convince anybody else that it's worth seeing and how did you go about that you know it's not a super hard sell because it does have a lot of elements to it that are appealing if i had to put a genre on it i'd almost call it a magical realism Mm. which you know because it combines the elements of the everyday but it takes them to a new and absurd level it's doing this sometimes the only way to really make a point is to start off with a really true situation and then take it to the next level of hyperbole and then he goes one step further and adds the video game elements and so it's not that those elements are an afterthought but it's more like a punctuation mark you know it just kind of heightens the overall silliness of the situation while still being founded on things that people can relate to. Kristen, by the way, is a high school English teacher, and you can tell by every word she just said. Uh-huh. She's That's her thesis statement. Yeah. It was three-pronged. And like, right. hyperbole, magical realism. That was wonderful. Right. Bravo, bravo. Uh, I didn't mean to interrupt, Kristen. I just wanted to make that point. Did you have more to say? Oh, just that I could almost see why it would be difficult for some individuals because 
because people didn't necessarily all like Hot Fuzz either, which I think is insane. Right. <laughs> they didn't, you know, they couldn't all get a hold of Shaun of the Dead. And, and he, you know, he has those elements of very dry humor where you have to bring an accessible amount of, you know, relatability and knowledge and just like, I don't know, being able to kind of catch the, the drollness of it. So, I mean, like Hot Fuzz wasn't hilarious until the last 15 minutes and then it was like off the freaking chain. That's true. Referential. Because people are getting killed all over the place, and you're like trying to figure out what's going on, and that's not funny. But Timothy <laughs> right. getting impaled, hilarious. Sure. Or when sure. he was like, he had one thing you didn't have a big bushy beard. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I kind of, it's subtle, but that same kind of tone is, is in the movie where it's humor through Michael Sarah's side look facial expression off into the distance at the right moment. I don't know. And so it's, it's just not everybody's sense of humor. And that's why I, I find it odd that they banked so much money uh-huh. on an uncommon sense of humor. Well, I think the way they were able to do that, though, is just the cast of up-and-comers who, if nothing else, Edgar Wright can cast a film. I mean, they're just so perfect and everybody could deliver the dialogue exactly right and they're just on the same level and there's so many people in this that were at least memorable if not stars you knew who they were or you had seen them in something is there a cast member or a specific evil x that stands out for each of you that's that's a favorite uh i think chris evans because i look at him in this role (laughs) And I'm like, oh, Captain, this, remember when this was your life? Like, remember when these were the roles that you were doing? Yeah. And, oh, how the mighty have fallen. And now all you are is, you know, like Captain America. What are you yeah. doing with yourself, man? And it's interesting because in this role, he looks so different from Captain America. It's crazy. <laughs> like, he looks like a total D-bag. Yeah. yeah. He looks like a jerk. Yeah. He is trying really hard to do that, though. <laughs> is yeah. he, though? It seems like it. Because all the rest of his movies, he was like that. He always used to play the surfer cool guy. He was very typecast. This was Johnny Storm if he had gone dark. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, so, so what was the it was it called snow train you know what i'm talking about uh snow piercer yeah like that one was awesome but i mean i honestly i think that's his heaviest role that i can think of off the top of my head um, he did cellular which was pretty i mean it was a suspense agreed he was in was the good. babysitter diaries oh geez. yeah he was in the teen movie, which was kind of hilarious. And, and his finest moment in this, I feel like, is just to Kristen's point about kind of the off-handed humor, which is just like after he's beaten up Scott Pilgrim, he just gets a text while he's walking away. He's like, that's actually hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so solid. I love that. It cracks me up. What about for you, Jeff? Well, to be perfectly honest, the one and part of it is my love of Arrested Development but I just love seeing what's her name that plays Anne from Arrested Development, who's uh, Roxy. May Whitman. May. May. It's so funny to see, especially if you watch her in Arrested Development, because she plays this total blah Anne, and then you see her elsewhere, and you realize that how good a performance that actually was—that she was playing at that blah because she's so dynamic, and that scene where she comes in is so short and so quick, but I'm just she just nails it, and. <laughs> I do feel like maybe it's from, it's got to be from Arrested Development, is the two of them just have such 
chemistry together, even though they only said maybe two things to each other, that it was just like, oh, they put them back together again. I'd love to postpone, darling, but I just cashed my last rain track. What's that from? My brain! (laughs) 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 Oh, the timing on it is just spot on. Uh, Emily. The vegan. The vegan. There we go. Oh my gosh. Brandon Ralph. Yeah. And and Kristen didn't recognize him. And she was like, who is that? He looks familiar. And I was like, it's Superman. I had no idea. Well, and it was the first, I feel like, indication that he could do comedy. Because, you know, like Legends of Tomorrow his as playing the Atom. Like, he's very much kind of a goofy character. And here it's a different type of humor. But I think it broke the mold of, oh, he's boring, that boring Superman guy who didn't really pan out. At least in my mind. He looks awesome when his vegan powers are activated. Like, it's a funny scene, but he actually looks cool. Like, I would see a movie about that character if it was serious, you know? (laughs) There you go. On the flip side for me, though, Ramona just didn't. I mean, maybe she's not supposed to. And from those that have read the, the, the manga have said that part of the story is Scott realizing Ramona is not actually as great as he thought that she was. The, the entire time I'm like, no, go back with knives. She's so much cooler than this girl is. So I don't know. And that was kind of the pivotal realization. And my favorite line is when Knives is just like, besides, I'm too cool for you. And everybody in the audience is like, there you are! (laughs) Yeah, and I feel like, you know, the MVP of the show who really steals every scene is Kieran Culkin as Wallace. I mean, because who knew that Fuller from Home Alone would grow up to be so awesome? It's just like, hey, do these guys rock or suck? They haven't started playing yet. That was a test, Jimmy. You passed. <laughs> Wallace, again? Yeah. No. I mean, he's just, he's, every moment he milks it perfectly, but he doesn't overdo it. You know, you're just like, okay, this guy's got it all figured out. He's going to lead Scott through it all. You know, the, as far as like the X's for me, she's not the X for Ramona, but she's Scott's ex. And I, I can't believe that it's Envy Adams that's played Captain Marvel because this right? is literally the only movie I know Brie Larson from. You know, congratulations on your Oscar and all that. But like, <laughs> I don't know anything about her work except for oh, this. And I love her in this movie. She's pretty hilarious. So I think, you know, she stands out as an ex that uh, excelled in her moment in the spotlight. Um, do you guys have a biggest laugh moment for you that just like is still a laugh out loud moment if you go back to it now? The vegan, I, where where he, he was like, being vegan just like, makes you better. That's what it was, yeah. <laughs> and I really liked that there were actual vegan police. So I thought it was a good satire on like the overwatchfulness and overjudginess of some vegan individuals I've run across. The, the biggest laugh out loud moment for me, so Scott is kind of in that unsure period where he's getting ready to break up with knives she shows up at the door and wallace answers for him and while they're talking scott just flies out yeah everything happened in the background yeah (laughs) it's just like so sudden and hilarious like that that really always jumped out of me literally yeah as something pretty funny the one for me which is funny it's not uh, a laugh per se but it was watching the special features afterwards they showed that one scene, what was it, where he orders the Amazon thing or whatever, and he then threw it behind him and it landed in the trash can. It took him (laughs) 66 takes to do that. And they had just him throwing it. and Because he just tossed it up in the air and he just kept missing it. One time it hit the wall, one time it hit, yeah. And I thought that was 
the fact that they just kept shooting and like, really? You couldn't just use like a a, a trick shot to do that? I'm like, no, no, you want to get that exact shot right. And that's where I, I keep thinking about what you said about this movie not being funny, which I don't know that I would put it in those terms, but I might agree that I don't know that it's a comedy per se. I don't know that that's necessarily his goal is to get us to laugh at all of these things like that's it's same thing with most of his movies like you said with hot fuzz and stuff like that it's not necessarily that it's you know we're telling jokes and we're getting you to laugh the other question that i have then is the film is very musical as well you know and it's obviously centering around a guy who has a band and the members of the band are great you know especially kim the drummer i think is probably the breakout Mm -hmm. star of all this scott you're the salt of the earth. Thank you, Kim. I meant scum of the earth. <laughs> I mean, she's so great. But what do you guys think about the music as it plays in the film? Is there a moment where you feel like, yes, this scene wouldn't work without this particular song where it's so essential? Well, what stuck it out for me is that I tried my hand at playing bass a little bit in college because I think you kind of have to. Like, you're contractually obligated <laughs> to try some instrument at some point. And so when Scott's just like, D, 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 I was like, yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, the scene with the with the twins, I mean, that scene's obviously all about the musical duel. One of my friends was saying today that, I'm, I'm assuming it's true with all of his movies, but that with Baby Driver, I guess uh, his latest movie, that he says he doesn't film a scene and then pick a song. He picks a song and then builds a scene around it. So I wonder with this, if it's kind of that same sort of a thing where he's like, well, this is the song I want to use. Now let's make a scene out of it. Yeah, I believe that is how he works. It's got to be because it literally is so integral. Like I've listened to the soundtrack on its own and I've been like, you know what? I don't want to own this soundtrack, but in the movie, it works, <laughs> it works. so perfectly. It, like, it really gets the essence of every scene, especially like the opening sequence. And even in the theaters, that electronica versus rock segment was like the most visually and sonically impressive to me. That really always stuck in my mind. I just remember walking out of theater going, oh, when that big Yeti fought those dragons, that was awesome. <laughs> But, you know, also just from the the standpoint of I was really into like the indie music scene in Phoenix uh, before I got married. And one band in particular, Domo, who actually are opening and closing themes are Domo songs. So if you want to check them out, find them on YouTube. They're not around anymore. But like just that whole vibe of being there for a band that hasn't quite made it but is, you know, got some edge to them and like Crash and the boys and just their whole, you know, dour, terrible song attitude, you know. Um, I really, you know, that spoke to me because the bands that I loved seeing were the ones that, yeah, they were pretty good, but could they almost make me laugh with their sour attitude on stage or the way that they really were trying to project coolness? And so that was like a big thing for me. So whenever, you know, they were at the battle, the bands that made an impact so as we talk about this then so obviously we know that the movie didn't do so well the comic book series i believe actually went to about five books you know different graphic novels so it went beyond the film brian lee o'malley who created the character actually the movie came out before the story was done it's very different in the book i guess so the question is now if we think about it the video game element of this film do you want to continue is a theme that plays throughout 
So should Scott Pilgrim continue? Should there be a second one? Kristen, give us your pitch to get things started. Well, I was trying to kind of isolate what I thought made Scott Pilgrim what it was and effective as a movie because I think it's a pretty cohesive piece and I I feel like it knows what it's about and it knows what it's trying to do. And so it has a goofy tone that's relatively lighthearted, even when it's handling themes that could be pretty serious, it never comes across that way and you don't quite feel it. There's a lot of tropes that are very identifiable, you know, as, as being something that you do in your early 20s that's almost funnier if you're past your 20s. So being in my 30s now and looking back at it is way more funny than it would have been back then. You know, being in a band, living on a friend's bed, not really holding down jobs, kind of getting through life with your charm, a lot of thoughtlessness and selfishness from everybody, you know, in their relationships, a lot of self-indulgence, but underneath all of it is really wanting to try new things and having a lot of loyalty to your friends. And it creates, you know, a really heavy tone of nostalgia mixed with all of the surreal humor. But it's also, you know, making really traditionally bad choices, but having life lesson at the end. And, and they're definitely heavy handed with the sort of self-respect or whatever it was. So I was trying to think of ways to incorporate some of those elements into the next phase. And I was like, well, where do you take the next phase of Scott and Ramona? Because they've essentially decided to leave town together. And I was like, well, I don't know if either one of them are really that great as individuals. So what would they do if they were trying to make it work as a couple without the support of their friends? Because a lot of their relationship really takes place more in discussion with the people around them than face to face. So I was like, well, let's set the sequel three years later. And then I thought about that and I was like, oh, this is going to be bleak because (laughs) I decided that after Scott and Ramona left together, they decided to head to a new town. And so I found a town in Canada with the best name possible. It's called St. Louis du Haha. And there's two (laughs) exclamation points, one after each haha. And while they're there, Scott has to get his first desk job and it's at the traditional call center and everything is in shade of tan and gray and grage and this call center completely sucks the life out of him ramona has taken the easy route and has just transferred to another amazon center only this time because she's been there for three years and nobody in the right minds is ever there for three years she's been promoted to supervisor and has to deal with all of the unreliable and entitled younger people because now instead of being the 21 and 22 year olds now they're the 25 year olds and that's the worst They have bills there's never enough money for, student loans that they have to pay off. And on top of that, every time somebody calls or every time they get a social media ping, it's either a phone call from his sister who's engaged, they run into Julie who's engaged, they get a text from Kim who's engaged, and they get a wedding invite from Knives who's engaged. Um, (laughs) So everything is about... Someone getting engaged or having a baby. And basically, they realize that they're kind of at a really crappy transition phase. They don't know whether or not they're even unpacking half their stuff. They're asking each other, should we get a puppy? And I kind of envisioned this part being relatively very quick, but lacking the general color and vibrancy and excitement of the original as they're kind of transitioning to like a blah phase. But fortunately, 
Ramona gets a phone call from her sister that we didn't know exists. She's been captured by their evil stepmother because there's always an evil stepmother <laughs> who is forcing her to stuff envelopes in the, in the living room all summer in order to pay for her upcoming first semester of college. And so jumping on this excuse maybe a little too enthusiastically, Scott and Ramona decide they need to go on a two-player quest to free her sister. And so the rest of the movie is shot in an MMO style so that they can both be playing as they transverse the entirety of Canada in a very zany style. And it's hard to write or account for the style because so much of it is just, you know, visual graphics incorporating the soundtrack and the sound effects of a video game. But MMOs are really heavy on the grind and getting XP and then experience through the same repetitive things over and over and over again. So I thought that might be thematically appropriate. Yeah. Along their travels, they come across several different crazy characters, a postman who has decided that he's going to hide anything that looks like it might be a bill because he doesn't want to be the bearer of bad news. (laughs) And so they have to convince him of the evils of his ways. And as they do that, they learn not to avoid their own bad financial situation. And they gain life experience because they're becoming more self-aware and mature. And they gain a post satchel to carry things in. So they're acquiring gear as they go. And then they meet a woman who has been working at the same copy center as a clerk for 15 years. And she absolutely hates her life. And is miserable and just kind of an honorary, over-the-top character. And Ramona and Scott help her defeat a man-eating copy machine. And Ramona helps her realize that it isn't too late to retrain and she can try something new and she doesn't have to be stuck there. And so the woman decides that she's going to go into law enforcement, having realized that she's got the strength and determination and grit for it. And Ramona is then faced with the realization that she doesn't want to do the same dead-end jobs forever. And so Scott and Ramona consider their education, their training. They decide to finish the degrees they never really started. And so they gain XP for realization and gain a ream of copy paper for their troubles. And that goes in the post satchel. And then they meet a couple at a gas station who are unusually and intrusively chatty. And thank goodness I haven't really met people like this in in real life, but they always seem to be conveniently placed in most movies. But Scott and Ramona have run out of gas, and Scott's trying to get his sister to send them money. And so these chatty individuals insert themselves into their business and invite them to stay at their house for the evening after filling up their gas tank. And it turns out that they have a home business turning people's pet hair into wearable socks. (laughs) And they ask Ramona and Scott to help them card and sort the hair as a subtle quid pro quo for the assistance that they've given them. And Scott and Ramona, in doing this very grinding and terrible gig, realize that they hate pet hair and they do not want a puppy. So for this wonderful, mature insight, they're granted a box of envelopes, which they place in their mailbag. And so this leads them to a new plan to free Ramona's sister when they get to the house. So Ramona fills all the envelopes with copy paper and fills the whole sack. They arrive at the stepmother's house where the sister is chained to the table stuffing envelopes. And using their apprentice lockpicking skills, they free her from the shackles. But unfortunately, she can't leave the chair without tripping the alert. If it trips the alert, it'll wake up the stepmother and then they'll be caught. So they have to switch her out with the bag of stuffed envelopes, Indiana Jones style, and escape the home with the Temple of Doom scene, everything, you know, falling on them, the moms throwing cats, and they're dodging hurled insults and guilt trips, and then they're sliding under the garage door at the very last minute. 
and then they take the sister and they head back home, offering to let her live with them during her first semester of community college. But they've decided that they want to move back to Toronto where they have friends and Scott's family, even if it means dealing with everybody's engagements and babies in person. So they're determined to move up with their lives and take it to the next level instead of just stagnating on level one. But throughout all of that would, of course, be the traditional video game effects and hyper-reality and thematically similar elements. Nice. Let me jump in here because where Kristen decided to pick up three years after the fact, I said, you know what? I want to see what happens in middle age. I want to find out what Scott and Ramona are up to 20 years down the line, okay? And Michael Sarah and Mary Elizabeth Winstead are a little bit older than they were playing. So I feel like if they get this thing back together when Edgar Wright's kind of getting more solid in his career and he just wants to revisit it, they're a little bit more established as well. They might be looking to go back to one of those fun movies I did. They'd come up with this one, Scott Pilgrim versus the Young Generation. As I said, it's been 20 years since Scott defeated Gideon in his own insecurities to win the heart of his dream girl. Ramona and Scott are now happily married. They run a vintage record shop video game used instruments store in Toronto. They're hip parents, but Scott is struggling with his 17-year-old daughter Shan's constant stream of new boyfriends and their varying personalities. Obviously, she takes after her mom. So, Scott has to contend with each of these love interests to protect his daughter through different video game style battles. There's adrenaline junkie boyfriend. So Scott catches Shan in the passenger seat as her boy toy peels out at a stoplight. And Scott tries to keep pace with the speed demon in a Super Mario Kart style race. And when he accidentally wrecks the kid's car to stop them, Shan is mortified. There's an annoyingly intellectual boyfriend. That's a, a punch-out style game that plays out during a <laughs> as the kid transforms into various international boxers while bragging about globetrotting and all these life experiences he's had that make Scott look stupid. And he tries to bring down the kid's ego with less impressive stories, you know, about life in Canada and one trip to Des Moines, Iowa. And the kid... <laughs> Ultimately outright insults the family, though, and Shan dumps him. There's inconsiderate jock boyfriend. And Scott recruits the former members of Sex bob to join him when he's invited to play at a pickup hockey game. It is Canada, after all, against the jock boyfriend's team. And that turns into an ice hockey for the original Nintendo-style melee, which thoroughly embarrasses Shan. And the jock boyfriend breaks up with her. There's cute, but might be a serial killer boyfriend. And Scott really likes this kid. He's into the same now older bands that Scott likes. You know, they really get along. He tells Shan that he approves of her dating this guy, which makes her less interested. But especially after the kid offers to help clear out an infestation of bugs in the attic, it turns into an original Mario Brothers style co-op game. This is the one where they were like, there were pipes and they had to bounce bugs and things. And so that ends up turning because the boyfriend gets way too excited about annihilating insects, which causes Shan to kick him to the curb. Next up, rich and way too old for her boyfriend. <laughs> it's a 2D animated Dragon's Lair style sequence where Scott has to rescue Shan from the clutches of a creepy older dude whining and dining her at a fancy restaurant. 
But even Shan has to admit that Scott was right about this one. There's totally trying to score with Ramona, boyfriend. This kid is hanging around the house way too much, ignoring Shan, and constantly slinging compliments at Ramona and kind of laced with double entendre. So Scott feels threatened, and they square off in a super Bomberman-style battle with the kid blowing up Scott's awkward attempts to compliment his wife or also his ideas of successfully unmasking this kid as a creep. But ultimately, Scott grabs the boyfriend's phone to reveal photos of Ramona he's been taking for his MILF blog, and he is out of there. And finally, we have can't find anything to dislike about him, so he must be hiding something, boyfriend. But turns out he's really a nice guy. And ultimately, Scott and Shan, by the end of this, learn to trust each other. And Shan decides she's going to find herself at college before committing to any serious relationships. And Scott, meanwhile, learns that all he can do is be there for Shan when she needs him. And he promises to be there forever as credits roll. Aww. So he defeats them all, basically. <laughs> yeah, well, he does what he can, yes. <laughs> Dad's uh, the champ. Yeah, Coming from dad. a dad. Exactly. As as a father <laughs> as of a daughter. <laughs> Give me 15 years, I'll be in the same situation. So <laughs> how about you, Emily? What do you got? Okay, well it's gonna be significantly shorter than y'all's. But uh-huh. basically, I'm glad we had that conversation earlier about different characters and stuff because I was thinking, who is the coolest character in this movie that we need to see more of? And the answer is knives. The answer is 100% knives. She is Young the Neil. absolute. <laughs> He's all right. He can show up at some point, too. But no, knives is the coolest character in the movie. She's got the most that you can work with because she's 17. She's about to graduate high school. She's just realized that she's way cooler than her lame older boyfriend that she shouldn't have been dating in the first place because he was way too old for her and too lame. And she's realized a lot of things about herself. So thinking about the character and what she is, the thing that really interested me is when you think about it, she says herself that she only realized that there was cool music two months ago. (laughs) And she's already way more of an expert than Scott is. And he's in a band. And so I decided... That's because that's her superpower, learning about things really quickly and learning to do things really quickly. So my my movie is about Knives Chow becoming a superhero. So she's graduating high school. She goes out into the world. She may or may not go to college. I really don't care. Because at some point, she's going to realize that she has these powers and she's going to do this whole training scene that's kind of like that Batman movie, which one was it where he went to China or whatever it was? Begins. Yeah, that one. So she's developing her abilities. She's learning to do all of this stuff. And then she comes back to Toronto and she sets herself up to be a superhero in Toronto. And in the process, obviously, there's there's issues with the police. She um, develops kind of a thing with one of the up-and-coming detectives on the police force. So that's her main love interest. There's also a rich dude who is secretly the supervillain in town. So those are her two love interests. And while she's fighting crime, she gets a squad of allies. And those allies are Julie Powers, because what the heck is up with Julie Powers? She is (laughs) obviously a witch. (laughs) She's obviously a witch. How did she do that with her mouth? How does she put the sensor bar on her mouth? And when she's talking to Scott, I swear everything gets dark and it zeroes in on her. And that could just be a special effect, but I don't think so. 
I think that is uh, magical, magical powers. And the fact that she has so many jobs, how could she possibly work that many jobs unless she's either teleporting or manipulating time in some way? Julie Powers is a witch. That's just the fact. (laughs) But the thing is, Envy Adams also did that mouth bar thing. So they trained together in the past. They had to have both been training together at some point as witches. And then Envy went a different way because of her musical career or whatever. So they're both involved in this whole league of lady superheroes because they're all ladies. So Envy has some magical abilities, but she's more um, focused on like emotional manipulation, mostly through music. So she's kind of a siren. And then the fourth member of their squad is Kim Pine, because we've got all of this cool magical stuff. We've got knives who, who can basically become an expert in anything in a very short period of time. And there's Kim, who's basically just angry and hits things really hard. So this movie is about them becoming superheroes that work in Toronto, and it is called Knives Chow Saves the World. That's awesome. Well, and I, I like that it's Scott's League of Super Xs or something. That's pretty crazy. Jeremy. All right. So more of a concept. Scott and Ramona have gone away for a weekend getaway two, three, four years later to the Fairmont Le Chateau Frontenac in Quebec. And throughout the weekend, Scott and Ramona are having to take on the seven ghosts haunting this hotel. So another seven, but they're battling ghosts at a haunted hotel. Yes. Is there a Scooby-Doo cameo? (laughs) Is this a real hotel? Uh, It is, yes. Wow. Yeah, apparently the Fairmont in Canada, there is a chain of them, and many of them are haunted. (laughs) (laughs) What? The one in in Quebec is haunted. The one in Ottawa is haunted. It's not just our room rates that'll scare you. (laughs) Wait, why would the room rates scare you? That sounds bad. That's a real bad advertisement. Well, uh, yeah, I guess that's Price is so work. low, they're scary. How about there that? That sounds a little better. Good work, Jeff. <laughs> wow. Of the chain of Fairmont hotels, five of them have made the top 15 most haunted and stunning hotels in Canada. They're either huh. doing something really wrong or really right. Well, I mean, now I know where I want to commit my next five murders. I mean, that's not we of the Sequel Quest podcast do not condone murder. Thank you. Unless it's <laughs> Fairmont ends. All right, Jeff, round us out here. Okay, so I kind of cheated a little bit, and I went with a mid-prequel instead of a straight-up sequel. Uh, I do want to also preface this by saying, one, my first thought was, seeing Edgar Wright's body of work, I don't feel like Edgar Wright would want to do a sequel. That's not really his style, because he doesn't like, I mean, he wants to do different things each time. So the only way we could do a sequel, I would think, with Edgar, would be to do it very, very different artistically. Uh, and then the second thing is, is for me, my favorite thing about the movie is the seven X's, but they all exploded into coins in the movie. So that's why I kind of wanted to do somewhat of a flashback in order to incorporate all of those. So I was kind of thinking like with the second Lord of the Rings, two towers, where it starts off right in the middle of the battle sequence from the previous movie. So it's the same thing, whereas this movie is going to open up with that final battle between Scott and Gideon. 
And when Gideon, at the one point when he reveals his diabolical plan that he got all of the exes to attack Scott, we do a, like a extreme close-up zoom into Ramona's eye, and that transforms us into a flashback. And then for the first half of the movie, we go through flashbacks of her relationship with each one of the exes. So first off, we start off with Matthew Patel. And I should mention, each one of the flashbacks are done entirely in a different style. So Matthew's flashback is going to be entirely done in a Bollywood style. So everybody's going to be dressed in like the Indian, you know, long flowing Bollywood clothes. Uh, I would see it being subtitled. And then there would obviously be uh, a dance sequence at some point. And it takes place in the school, and that's where she meets Matt. Kind of out of sympathy, ends up dating him, but then at some point realizes that there's not much to like about him, so then she breaks up with him. Then we go to the next flashback, which is of Lucas Lee. And this one I would see being filmed like Joe, isn't it Joe Johnson that did uh, Captain America and the Rocketeer? Yeah, so so it would be Joe Johnson style. So it's very like superhero, but but and uh, meets Lucas. Not that he necessarily thinks he's a superhero, but that's the only way that he understands the world. So he literally thinks everything. So he views her as like a damsel in distress that he needs to rescue. And he always gives these like one-liners because he thinks he like, you know, like a superhero would. And that eventually leads to Ramona getting done with him. So she breaks up with him. Uh, then we move on to Todd. Todd's entire one is done like a music video. Todd's in a band because Todd is so mature and so elevated in his veganness and whatever is what draws her to him. Uh, but then kind of figures out that his lifestyle isn't for her. So then she breaks up with that. Then she goes to college. And so then we have her experimenting with Roxy and her relationship. This is all done as a Kung Fu movie. So this is going to be dubbed because Roxy is a part-time ninja. So she's trying to figure out how to be a ninja. Uh, but that obviously goes wrong eventually. And so then Ramona decides to go back to boys, which is where then in college she meets Kyle and Ken, who are these twins that are building robots that are designed to be DJs. And she thinks that's really fascinating. So she ends up dating both of them at the same time. But then she ultimately can't decide which one to do. So she ends up breaking up with both of them. And then after she graduates, she ends up meeting Gideon. And I would think this whole sequence would be done like a Wes Anderson movie. So it was because it's Jason Schwartzman again. So uh, it seems like it's a match made in heaven. He's everything that she has ever wanted. He says all the right things. He does everything perfect. But for one reason or another, just like the timing isn't right. Or maybe she sees his angry side or something like that happens. Uh, so they end up breaking up. And then we flash back forward. Now, again, we're about halfway through the movie, so we flash back forward. Maybe this is about three quarters through the movie. That makes a little more sense. To the fight scene again. And so now we're in the middle of the fight scene, and then Gideon kind of completes what he started saying at the beginning about how difficult it was to get all of the exes together to form the evil uh, alliance and then to attack Scott. So now we do an extreme close-up into... Gideon's eye and we go back to each one of these and we see that Gideon was actually the one that was causing the breakup of every single one. He was the one that runs into Ramona and says Matthew is, is a loser, that Lucas is whatever, you know, he's the one that kind of institutes all of that. That's also then why he knows her so well is because he, you know, had been following her for years trying to figure her out and everything like that. So then we finally fly back 
towards the the fight scene as Ramona is finally realizing that her entire past has been manipulated by this guy, just as Scott ends Gideon, and then we, yet again, end happily ever after. Very involved. All right, well, we didn't have seven evil exes, but we had five awesome pitches, so how do we vote? Only rule is, can't vote for yourself. Before we do that, can we do like a brief summary? Recap? Yeah. Well, I think we had Kristen's was the MMO to save the sister from the evil stepmother, along with a lot of life learning and becoming more mature adults, right? And then mine was dad protecting his daughter from terrible boyfriends. Then we have Emily coming back at us with the Knives Chow League of Super X's. Oh, yeah. Okay. (laughs) So we have that. We got Jeremy's Haunted Hotel Adventure. Wild Hotel Adventure, yes. Brought to you by the Fairmont Corporation. Exactly. (laughs) For when you're in Canada, stay at Fairmont. All right. And then Jeff's, obviously. We have the whole idea of the Ramona prequel, getting the stories fleshed out and reimagined a bit. Cool. So what do you think, Kristen? I'm always a fan of prequels done well, and so I, I liked a lot of that idea. Um, but honestly, this time around, I would go for Adam's dad adventure. Mm-hmm. I, I like the idea of taking the same Scott versus seven opponents and um, moving it into the future and uh, facing off with the daughter. I thought that could be pretty hilarious. All right. Emily? I like Adams a lot. I think that that fits the feel of the first movie. And so it could work really well as a sequel. I like that a lot. Okay, Jeff. It was Kristen that had the 30-somethings leveling up, we said? Mm-hmm. Right, that's the one. Yeah, I like that one. I thought that was cool. Jeremy likes to go last, so I'll throw mine in here. For me, I really love the idea of Knives getting her own movie. In fact, when it all came together, I was like, oh, it's all of Scott's exes. Not really, though, because he never dated Julie. My intention was never to have a movie uh, of Scott's exes. That's a good point, though, yeah. But there's so the many of them. not Scott. Scott is not the point in this. He's not yes. the whole one. Okay. But either way, I vote for Emily's on that one. And Jeremy. It's pretty tough. I would have to lean Adam as well. Hooray! Yay. So we're playing it safe this time around. We're keeping Scott in the picture. Michael Sarah, another role to look forward to in the future. So let's talk about it then. Was there some element of it maybe that you felt like you would want to tweak? Did we miss a style of boyfriend that would have been better Uh, to throw in there? Uh, What what did you guys have in mind? Did you have a name, Adam? Well, I called it Scott Pilgrim versus the Young Generation because I didn't quite know how to put it otherwise. Because I don't want to, like, it could be like Scott Pilgrim versus Young. Sounds like an old person's movie. Or whatever. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, So that that definitely throw your ideas out for a title. Now, the one that I was going to say is that, although you were, I think you already referenced it, was the one ice hockey one. Because I was thinking of Blades of Steel. Well, I was original that Nintendo. too, but Blades of Steel, the whole point of it was that it had fights, and yeah. I didn't want an old guy beating up young kids. Well, <laughs> now how old are we talking about here? Aren't we talking about like he's 50? Well, he's not 50, but he's like close to 40, yeah. Because so. he's got an 18-year-old daughter, right? Right. So he's exactly. got to be... He was 22 in that movie, so he's 25 when he has the kid, and then you know now it's 17 years later, so... 
Yeah, I guess so I guess he's early 40s. Yeah. However, we play that. But yeah, so if you wanted to redo that, because I mean, originally too, I thought about that being some other type of sport. But then I was like, hockey, Canada, and plus, curling. you know, yeah, curling. Curl <laughs> that would make it more interesting. I have a Canadian friend who is actually in a curling league. Wow. wow. So big deal. <laughs> uh, I don't think they make curling video games, though. <laughs> I hope they don't. Let me let me just well, put it that way. So along those lines, Adam, like that that's kind of my thought, too, is that which I guess I mean, with the first one, with the first Scott Pilgrim and then like with Wreck-It Ralph and stuff like that, it does seem like there is a connection to retro video gaming. Right. Right. Because I don't know how many kids like I mean, even some of you guys, I don't know how many of you guys even remember Blades of, of Steel. Because, I mean, it came out back in the 80s. So the, your typical audience, I don't know if they're, oh, yeah, like the old school you know, Nintendo. But the whole 8-bit motif, I think, is what people respond to more mm. than connecting directly to a game. You know, so for the most part, I think that's what people like. But then, you know, updating it here and there, like everybody loves Mario Kart. So I threw that in, you know. And Could we switch one to, especially if we're going to do Mario Kart, could instead of the Mario original Mario Brothers one, uh-huh. could it somehow be like a Legend of Zelda? What well, I thought really was well in the in the attic. You in the attic. The attic. That's what I was thinking. Like okay. A, they have to search through, and then they have to find I don't know the elixirs or something. Well, what do you guys think about this one? Because this was the alternate I had. Because I did want to do a Zelda one, and then I was like, hmm. Because the idea I had was, what if she had a super outdoorsy boyfriend that oh. takes her on this camping trip? And so Scott's all nervous. He's like, what are they going to do out there? You know, camping trip all alone type thing. And so he's going through the forest in kind of a linked style to rescue her. Yeah, I think that works. So that, that could be a little more fun. Was there, was there another style of video game you guys felt like you were missing? Could we do like a Duke Nukem or? Oh, no, 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 no. Not that kind of movie. (laughs) There was a whole movie shot in first person view recently. If you wanted to do a Tetris bit, you could have him facing off with one of these upstarts, you know, like trying to repack a car for a camping trip. Because (laughs) dudes are always fighting over who packs the car. I think, yeah, we could probably tack that on to the Zelda one. Yeah, so the lead into it while he's trying to convince her not to go or whatever, like try to get, what are you guys doing out there? What's the plan? You know, they they keep repacking like back and forth. They have a battle instead of repacking. Mm -hmm. That would be good. Yeah. Yeah. And then they put them all one and then they all disappear. (laughs) That'd be good. Or something. Yeah, I'm still trying to think, though, because, I mean, to Jeremy's point, a first-person shooter doesn't have to be an actual, like, violent shooter, because that could be another scenario, like a paintball thing or something, but maybe that's just too direct a translation. Now, would you want to, it didn't sound like this was kind of a dimension that you were going into, but kind of like these kids that are more familiar with 4K gaming or whatever versus Scott, who is more familiar with 8-bit gaming... Did you want to go into that at all? or Because that's what I was thinking. Like when you talked about Mario Kart, which Mario Kart was like N64 and stuff like that, as opposed to that old 8-bit sort of thing. So I don't know if you want to try and make it all look like old school 80s Nintendo or if you wanted to kind of mix it up some. Well, what we could do, see, the, the problem I find is that if we're trying to do it 4K today's graphics, then it just looks like a CGI movie. 
Right. That's the only issue I feel like you run into, like by having the comparison. But you could you could play it up so you get the point across, but not make it totally photorealistic. So mm-hmm. I think that could work to where what everything Scott does is in the eight bit style, but it's being pit against these you know when he's actually fighting against them in some way then they are better rendered and and they (laughs) seem to have more you know more skills at their disposal than he does you know they could change their camera view they could do all these things that he can't yes just they can strafe move sideways he has to turn Yeah, so I, th- I think that's actually a good point just for the aesthetic purposes. Like one boyfriend could be a gamer. And so he comes and he's the one that has his avatar is, you know, all complex and whatever. Yeah, because my concern was also we're setting this in the future. And so it's like, I, you don't know what games are going to be at that point. 8-bit stuff will be super old by then. But I think <laughs> that'll kind of be the point. Lots of VR. Yeah. <laughs> Get your goggles on. But Ready Player One is playing in the near future and they go to the Oasis. I mean, you're you're just spoofing off of things looking for them anyway. So that's something we can borrow, maybe. Definitely. The other thing that I wasn't sure about, and you guys tell me what you think, but I was trying to figure out, like, where would Ramona fit into this? Because obviously there's the section with the boyfriend who's hitting on her all the time. I, I thought on some level she could participate, but I was I wanted to have her be not so much in the background. What do you guys think? Would there be like a video game scenario that could be like the mother-daughter bonding time or the mother-daughter conflict? Because that, that's what I was thinking. It's like, it's Scott, 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 Scott. You know, that's kind of tricky because you don't want to do anything like too stereotypical or too trite. I mean, it really is modeled around the father-daughter relationship. But since Ramona was such a big part of the first movie, you don't want her just to be like a side note that kind of shows up, you know? So that is a good question. Yeah, because I almost think like it has to be a, like a sit down talk where they're basically saying she's like, look, you're jumping through guys really fast, just like I did. And you're probably breaking a lot of hearts along the way. And so I was trying to think of a, a game where it is that scenario of, OK, Shan's kind of growing up in the meantime while Scott is getting his own insecurities surpassed as a dad and worrying about her safety. How about at the end, you get to flash back to all of these moments where uh, Scott was dealing with the boyfriends and you didn't realize that Shan and Ramona were off in another room talking about the situation. Hmm. I mean, that does still leave Ramona not doing a whole lot for most of the movie, but you get to see that she was actually there the entire time and she was doing the mom thing and she was being a parent as well, but she wasn't doing it in the same way. Yeah, that we see that the, the moms have a different tact and that's what i was trying to think if it's almost like a messaging thing that she does with her so it's maybe not necessarily like a video game but we're seeing the messages she's sending her way whether you know at that point would it really be text i guess it might you know some sort of text-based conversation as well every once in a while or just little reminders and life lessons okay so it it wasn't all scott you know helping her maybe maybe at a certain point he's taking credit it's like look at what you were able to figure out ramona's like yeah dude Check this out. <laughs> At some point, I feel like Scott's got to realize that he needs to let his daughter go to a certain extent, right? Yeah. It's kind of happening bit by bit along the way. And that's why I was thinking Ramona would also be giving him advice. Right. Look, you know what I was like before this, and I turned out all right in the end. Sometimes you're just trying oh, to I find out it. who Stay you are. Okay. Yeah. 
do you guys feel like there needs to be like a, a musical style that is pervasive throughout? Do you, or do you think there's a way to just let that go? Because nobody's in a band in this one. Nobody's really focused on that other than what they have at their vintage record shop used mm-hmm. instrument store. I think it'd be interesting to start it off the same way, but now it's the older band, but that they just <laughs> like are in the garage and they just get together and and jam and maybe it's not as loud as it used to be or something. I don't know. <laughs> They've changed their style. They're more easy listening. No, probably not not that far. Adult contemporary. Because you don't want to cut Sex Bob-omb out of the, the entire scenario. They were such a big part of it. So, yeah, that could work. Well, and maybe and Scott's writing songs about his frustrations. Yeah. Well, there you go. I was even thinking, like, that could even be just to set up the entire dynamic is that the credits, just like in this in the original, the credits are them playing a song and then either at the end of the credits or somewhere in the credits, his daughter comes in and is like, will you guys shut up? You guys sound horrible or whatever. <laughs> and then it creates this tension already between dad who thinks he's cool. That's that's a good point. Yeah, so they never got better. And uh, <laughs> kids had enough of it. Because that was the only other thing is I did initially imagine a subplot where one of the boyfriends was like a rock and roll lead guitarist or whatever. And there, there was a little bit of an ad, like an ongoing antagonistic thing where Scott like kind of wishes he was having the success this kid and his band are having. And there was that underlying element. But I just felt like, yeah, it's, it's getting away from the point. And plus, the other thing you could do is like a rock band or Guitar Hero style battle. And we already saw that with Todd in the first one. As we're talking about this, is there a better name that's coming up? Something that you feel like is developing more in your mind? Because you had what you said, Scott Pilgrim against the new generation or something. Yeah, but I mean, it doesn't even have to be versus. I I don't know. There's nothing that like jumps out. Versus something about being a dad. Yeah. But he's not, like, fighting against fatherhood. He's trying to be a better father. Yeah. <laughs> Scott Pilgrim's Struggles with Fatherhood is a little less <laughs> dynamic of a title. It's a little on uh, the nose, too. <laughs> Sounds like a self-help video. <laughs> well, and if you wanted to, you could abbreviate it to, like, Next Gen, because... Well, that, I was actually trying to think of, like, Scott Pilgrim versus Generation, huh? question mark how about that one yeah. <laughs> huh tim allen's playing scott pilgrim in this one yeah anyway we'll, we'll have to work on that everybody on social media hit us up with a better title because this holy gonna have to workshop that one at this point, like we were talking at the beginning that oh. you don't go, set out to make a cult film. I think with this one, we're setting out to make a cult film. Like, well, we're really not people. trying hard. We're building <laughs> off a cult film. Is that Since the first one has become one, that yeah. those people that have grown to love it will now want to see a sequel. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Kristen and Emily, for joining yeah. us again. It was Thanks very fun to have you back. back. So... Is there anything that you guys want to promote? No, I don't know if you do, you... do you have some sort of blog or something you wish people oh, were reading? No. Do you have an Etsy no. store? Oh! <laughs> Homework assignments that you need to update your students on? You know? um, I, would, I would like to promote the difference between it's and it's and um, there, there, and there. That'd be a personal favorite. favorite. Oh, yes. Give us a, a yeah. bonus episode with a grammar lesson. 
Yeah. Well, if you want, we could add instead of the vegan police, we could have the grammar police in one of these segments that bust in and get one of these boyfriends. Maybe the intellectual one. Maybe he's super oh smart and he's a globetrotter, but he doesn't use grammar properly. What if he says, oh, what is that one that's really annoying? I could care less. I could care less. That's what he says that gets him busted. <laughs> oh, I like that. That'll be one of the deleted scenes. We'll have all the grammar police come in. There we go. Uh, or just somebody who overuses the word literally. <laughs> or maybe that'll be Jeff's cameo with Big Huge. That is actually my favorite thing. Every episode, I mark it down. How many times does Jeff say Big Huge? It's wonderful. What? That's do your I, signature phrase. Is big I, huge. I'm a big huge this fan. Oh, I'm a big huge okay. guy. I've this. never heard it said. How this many times did he say it this time? This episode we only got one, but okay. it's other yeah. Episodes. You're right. That's true. Big <laughs> huge. Okay. There's a comma in between for grammar's sake. Just just to point that out. It's not big one huge word. is not one word. No, 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 no. That would be a good name for a band, though. There you big go. huge. Big huge. Yeah. A big huge fan. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. But with that, tell your friends, follow us, spread the word. Hey, if you want to be on the show, we haven't made this invitation in a while because we've gotten so many awesome guests. But if you have a film that you've ever wanted to create a sequel, prequel, or reboot for, reach out to us at sequelquestpod at gmail.com and you could have your moment in the spotlight, making up fake movies like the pros. I guess we're pros at this point. Semi-pro. Eh. <laughs> We're getting there. Anyway, we are big huge. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sequel Quest and invite you to join us next week for another discussion about a film that never was. Share your ideas with the Sequel Quest universe by visiting SequelQuestPod.com, following us on Twitter at SQPod, on Facebook by searching Sequel Quest, or sending an email to SequelQuestPod at gmail.com. Let the world know how much you enjoy the show by leaving a review and five-star rating on iTunes. ITunes. All films and characters discussed on Sequel Quest are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended. 